Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 82 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Simon Elias on the show with us today. Simon's mission is to understand how lean thinking and associated schools of thought can be applied by people and organisations to improve individual and collective performance and achievement of purpose. Simon is the Director of the Lean Competency Services, LCS, an organisation that operates Cardiff University's Lean Competency System. Today we will explore how to develop people in lean and associated methodologies to achieve individual and collective improvement and achievement of purpose. Let's get into the episode. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. Simon, what's your backstory? Like, what significant moments got you involved in lean and then into the education side of lean and development? Um, yeah, I think um, the certainly the education side and lean came later on in my career. Um, I started off actually as an accountant in the City of London, um, following a sort of economics and politics degree. Um, but I mean, I, I found accountancy wasn't for me, as it is for many people. And I was looking for something different and actually went back to university and ended up doing a master's in marketing in London. Um, and I, that really started my fascination with um, customers, value, um, and, and the need to really understand customer needs and wants of value as part of any business venture. Um, and I think that, that, that led me actually towards lean, really, I think, because that, that is such a core element of lean. And, and I think for many, it's still the, the challenge to really understand what, what customers are. So I worked in industry for 15 years or so in sort of big multinational organizations in, um, in the UK, in marketing management roles, research planning roles. And then there, then there came a point, as everyone does in their career, think, well, you know, I, I need something different. And the value stuff was still part of what I was really interested in. And, and it's one of these things, a lot of things in life are just serendipity and, you know, happy coincidences. And um, around the late 1990s, um, Dan Jones and with Peter Hines had created the Lean Enterprise Research Centre at Cardiff. And they were advertising for people to come and do things as they were starting to research lean and apply. And they wanted someone who I think I could have the right skills for. So I thought I wanted a complete change, left industry and joined academia. So that was really got me into lean enterprise excellence um, or whatever you want to call it. And um, that was really the start of a new a new career. I, I remember I took a risk, I think, you know, because being in the corporate world was very comfortable, but I needed a bit of a jolt, a bit of stimulation. So that jump was the was the real um, change. And um, and uh, in 1997, I joined the Lean Enterprise Research Centre, um, and it was quite exciting at that time. Obviously, Lean Lean Thinking, the book had come out a few years before. Dan really wanted to set up a centre that was going to explore Lean the boundaries, the challenges, because there were still loads of questions around it then, um, and getting involved in lots of lean research, exploring its application constraints was a really stimulating time, really. So that, that, that's what got me into um, enterprise 
excellence has started the journey that I've continued on now. Wow. So and the one thing that's interesting too is um, I have a lot of guests on like Bruce Hamilton. He had a background in some marketing at one stage too. And I had a background in sales and marketing and other guests have too. It's quite quite common that when you've come out of that role that's high customer centric and then to take an interest in lean and this path of enterprise excellence. Yeah, and I think um, at, at the time, it was the late 90s, lean was still sort of production operations up oriented and that really constrained it I think because people weren't thinking of the customer they didn't see marketing as part of the sort of whole lean field I I think I brought that element of you know let's focus on the value and the customer um, and added that to the overall piece I think Um, and in fact ended up you know certainly applying I remember we 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 developed the the world's first lean masters at Cardiff with John Pacino and we ended up developing a service stream for that because there was the big question in the early 2000s about you know how does lean apply to services, and we ended up applying a lot of lean service methods, tools, and thinking into the module uh, in for from a lean service point of view. So we applied services marketing concepts which readily were transferable to um, to, to lean, and that again was an important point because for me I appreciated. Lean doesn't have a boundary in terms of what's in it, what is it? You, so, we, so we started bringing in thinking and ideas from other fields of thinking because they, they aligned well with, with, with the core principles. So that, that was an important point, I think, as well. But if I haven't had that perspective, I probably wouldn't have pushed for the sort of the marketing stuff being part of the Lean degree course. I think, you know, now, Simon, I think a lot of us know that an excellence journey has has to be enterprise-wide or enterprise-focused to actually achieve, to stick in many regards because if it's just the factory and it's just about applying to the factory, it, it can die because of that. But the thinking that you, Dan, and Peter and others were doing back in 97 through to 2000, that was really unique and really early, the way that you were thinking. Yeah, I, th- I think that was... Um definitely um, um, an, an important point in the development of lean thinking, taking this enterprise perspective, the system perspective, um, because there was too much of this sort of optimized islands of excellence approach where you did your little bit, but you know, the rest of it up and downstream wasn't any good. So the net effect was no real impact. So once people realized that, um, then it, cha- it changed the game. That I think is as well as the sort of the human dimension as well, which um, now we, we take for granted, but back then um, there wasn't really the sort of focus on the people side, um, which now I think probably leads most things. So um, yeah, that was definitely an important time. Um, what, what triggered that? Was it just the, the people that came together at Cardiff at the time? Or, or what was it um, that triggered the thinking? Well, I, th- I mean, obviously, it was a research centre, so there were people doing PhDs in lean, and, you know, and that in itself, that, that method, creates um, inquiry, creates thinking that leads to the sort of solutions and the ideas that um, advance the body of knowledge. So, I mean, there was one one famous PhD um, study that looked at lean failure, for example, and then why, why does lean fail? And then when, and after the research came out, there was a, a comfortable list that said it was, you know, lack of leadership sponsorship, but the people side, you know, the soft things dominated the list. There was very little, there was nothing like value stream mapping doesn't work. You know, it was all about people and change. 
So that sort of research was a big wake-up call. And the idea that if you're going to sustain this, you've got to impress what we used to call, the, you know, there was that lean iceberg analogy and all the underwater stuff is all the soft stuff, the engagement, the leadership, the communication. And the research was clearly pointing to if you haven't got that right, then you can have the best processes, the best education, but you know, it, it isn't going to work. So I think it, it was good research that uncovered the sort of uh, issues around that, around people and leadership that, again, led to a, a whole body of knowledge shifting towards that focus. So I know as you guys were drawing on all that academic work and enhancing what you were doing, you were building this LCS system, this learning and competency system mm. for Lean. What were the early goals and mission of LCS? Well, I mean, around the early 2000s, obviously, we created the Lean Masters. We'd created a lot of executive education, sort of one-day courses, Lean five-day courses, you know, to get people pulled up. A lot of companies were creating their own training, but there wasn't any framework, no qualification structure around Lean. So there, there were just courses, you know, which people turned up and did them and went away. And so it, it became apparent then, and there was calls from the, sort of our customer base that there needs to be some structure in some learning path that people could follow, some, some structure around which you could develop and create a, a, a portfolio of courses that would deliver the right capability. So obviously being a Lean research centre, we were in a good position to say, well, let, let, let's sit down and try and come up with something. And a few papers were written, um, some some research undertaken, and, and that led to, I think it was called the Lean Learning Ladder originally in about 2004, which was this hierarchical steps of capability that people could move up as part of their journey of, 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 of developing capability and became a, a framework around which an organization could start to develop Lean programs. So that's how it all started. There was, wasn't anything in the market. We thought we would create something. I mean, the name Lean Company System was then sort of the branding on on top of that. And we offered it up to organizations. Well, does anyone want to use this to help them create the right capabilities in people, which is the key thing, and then have some structure for individuals to develop their own continual learning? And you know, and even and by then it was becoming become a profession in its improvement. So we offered it to the market, and eventually the, the accreditation method evolved. Um, and it's continued to evolve, to be honest, since about 2005 was the first accredited organisation. And the aim was, with accreditation, it would give you this framework to, um, to develop people um, the, the, the right sort of syllabus so they were, they were capable to go and apply the thinking in, in the workplace. And then the focus was as much on tools and techniques. Um, in the last 15 years, it shifted more to the human dimension of what accreditation can do in terms of but I think the reward and recognition piece is now a big part of any lean program how do you address the what's in it for me question for an individual and there's lots of things you're going to do but one important thing let's recognize their capabilities let's reward them with qualifications they've got some external value so that that's become a, ma- a major factor but, but but at the time there was a blank there's a vacuum there and we were in a good position to to to, to, to fill it with what we call the LCS yeah, it's brilliant. It's so good that you've brought that structure to the market. Like I know, you know, you can go online and there's so many odds and sods on Lean and Six Sigma and even Agile and different things. But here what you've built is a structured, accredited, um, best practice approach that allows people to get credited and actually have something that's worth something with the accreditation and the university behind it. 
Yeah, that that certainly the linkage with university is a critical value component. I, mean, I would always tell people about qualifications. People, there's some skeptics about them, but you know, in what what field of, of work do you not need a qualification? You know, and and lean is no different from brain surgery, where yes, you learn from doing it. You still need the education and the qualification. Whether you're a carpenter, a taxi driver, a pilot, it's a question of education combined with learning on the job. Um, but and, and lean is is no different. So it provides that that focus on um, getting a qualification that has some value. Um, and 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 we still need to be motivated to do things. And this is an important part of motivating people as well. Yeah, well, it, it gives some weight to it. It's a well-structured approach that's proven. And then you've also got Cardiff University, which is one of the world's top universities now behind it also, which is amazing. Yeah, I think when we, it, it was about 2012 when um, it was clear that we, we could do something more than just have it on the shelf with a lot of other, other stuff. But I, I was then director of the centre back then, been there for 15 years, ready for a bit of a change. And, and, I said, look, there's an opportunity to take this, really, you know, do something with it. So let's find a way of exploiting it. And then, I mean, having worked in the university 15 years, it's not the place to sort of be, create a nimble, agile, entrepreneurial organization. So, so in the end, we said, well, let's take it out, create a, a licensed company, a company that holds the license to run it, then run it sort of independently. And which is what we did. That was launched in 2014. So I've been focusing totally on this since 2014, which is obviously allowed us to grow it, you know, refine it, add to it, um, you know, and, and now we've got sort of pretty much global coverage, you know, 100, 130 organisations, you know, from all sectors, all sizes. So it's, it, it's been a really positive decision that. And and for me, it's the question, how does it add value, you know, to, to, to organisations? Um, and it's, it's precisely, without a doubt, it helps um, in the knowledge transfer. It helps get people engaged. It helps in reward and recognition, yeah, it does a lot of those things, the basic things, um, and the fact that very we've got people who have been with us since you know the, the late 29s, 2010s, who are still doing it, you know, and keep reaccredited means good testimony. actually does deliver some value because ultimately, being with my marketing hat on, if we didn't do that, then uh, we wouldn't we'd be in trouble. Yeah, that's it. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to download an Enterprise Excellence Big Picture Map template that can be used to define your own way, the excellence approach for your organization. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. So, Zon, with, with your background and your experience, like, what would you say are the important elements in applying lean and other method- methodologies to help people and organizations and improve and achieve their purpose. Like we've, we've spoken on LCS and all the work you've done there and you continue to run, but what are those key elements? Assuming, of course, they know what their purpose is, which is, which is a, a big assumption, but um, assuming they know what it is, um, I'd, I'd put my marketing hat on and, you know, focus on the value side, you know, first and foremost, if you, if we don't really understand what value is required by whom, and then then you're you're immediately going to be going in the wrong direction. So understanding what value is, and it's a complex thing. Value it's not just going asking people. You know, it's the famous Henry Ford quote: "If I asked people what they wanted, they would say faster horses." You know, um, and you need a multi-dimensional methodology. Whether it's research, intuition, you know, watching 
lots of studying trends to understanding what value and that's to me is, is the key thing whether you're in any organization but especially a lean organization um i think another one which is slightly different is, is understanding that the question is not do we want to do lean or excellence it's, it's we, what we should be saying what version do, do we want to do that will really suit us right so that that assumes that at a high level lean is a bit of a no-brainer um and strategic common sense um you know after all which manager would not want to enhance customer value improve the flow of its productive activities improve quality have an enlightened and engaged workforce well i think that's normal strategic wisdom the, the issue is what method are we going to use to achieve that um when i was on the teaching front my friday afternoon lecture when everyone was a bit tired was called the, the lean fitness analogy which started as a bit of a joke but it became quite a, a nice little piece where we likened going lean to getting fit there's a lot of similarities um in terms of system perspective tool selection you know the fact that with fitness there's no one point you get there you're you're on a, on a fitness continuum of like you know couch potato to iron man but you at no one point you you are you fit you're just either less fit or more fit and lean is the same either you're on a continuum of unlean to a sort of toyota and no one point are you lean you're just either more lean or less lean and the other thing with the fitness continuum it's it's sloped so if you stop doing proactive fitness activity you'll slope back towards the the couch potato end and lean is the same unless you actually proactively um you know have lean behaviors you will become unlean so that sort of i idea that lean is about a behavioral thing and you need to find a version that's going to fit your world was a key thing really um so i think first of all you could decide yes I, you know we're doing lean anyway we might be doing it badly or well but what version is going to suit us and that's the key question and the research center the phrase we used was contingent approach to lean which means it's all dependent on your circumstances your markets your processes so for me if you don't get that right then um you and I see it so often because someone's just got a narrow understanding of lean and we'll we'll just apply what we applied there and it doesn't work um it's in my fitness analogy it's like you 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 want to run a marathon but you get someone who's good at pilates as your trainer right it's the wrong model to use to achieve your purpose so it's matching out your capability and um, or getting that right to achieve what you're doing and fitness we all, you know completely different fitness pros if you're a rugby player a ballet dancer a you know yeah. a swimmer and lean is the same there's some broad principles of fitness that we all will align to some physical laws of nature but the issue is not you know we don't say fitness doesn't work when it, when we don't get fit what what actually happens we got the wrong trainer we use the wrong methodology for our sport yeah. same in lean it's not that the principles don't work we just have to choose the wrong method and and apply it in the wrong way so that contingent approach is a critical part for me if that's wrong then you're on a path to failure and i see that so often uh, yeah. because it's just been imposed on people or some consultant come in said this is the model you know it works for everyone and so on so those i think value and choosing the right model are two of the critical ones for getting it right i mean people focus without a doubt you've got to invest in that side of it as much as anything else in terms of capabilities i think as well you've got to tap into some intrinsic motivation um again one of my views now after all these years is that the leanness of an organization is the sum of the motivation of all its individuals right it's not about your strategic 
plan or your policy deployment, or whatever, if everyone is not motivated to want to do it when they come in, then you're not going to get anywhere. So how do you tap into that intrinsic motivation so people want to do this as part of their day job? Um, yeah, so those are probably the key things, you know, um, the value side, get the right version from you and then make sure that people are capable and ready to do it because they're the people who are going to create the, the improvement at the end of the day. Yes, neat. So it's really that, you know, create that purpose or find that motivator, get that absolute customer focus, whether it be find what they value or experiment to understand what they could value, Mm -hmm. Um, get that approach that suits you and is more your way and Mm -hmm. then educate and develop and coach and help people skill up. Yeah. Again, if you've got a group of people in the room who said, right, we're all going to get fit. You, they'd all end up with a different fitness program to achieve the overall objective. And, and for me, lean is exactly the same, or from an organization point of view, you need a, a, a specific approach that suits the individual organization. And that's a big challenge. And um, um, I think it's, it's one that we're still grappling with to get that right. In, in Australia, so it seemed like there was a whole era where um, consultants would come in and just purely roll out 5S. It was like lean was just 5S. And they'd come in and apply 5S to people and everyone would feel like their living room's being changed and their bedroom's being messed around with because their workspace is their workspace and it would all just fall apart. And I'm not saying that 5S is not a great technique, but boy, I saw some organizations where Lean was 5S, only 5S, and that's it. We just got to apply 5S. Yeah, I remember having arguments actually in Lurk years ago with some of my colleagues because I was taking very much a service perspective, only really worked in services and um, I said, in you know, in many service environments, 5S is like 19 out of 20 in terms of your priority. And people were looking at me and think, what are you talking about? You know, well, there's nothing physical, you know, it's, it's totally intangible. And, um, you know, we, we haven't got things to put in places. We've got, you know, and, and really, but that's what contingent means. You can say, well, where, for example, taking 5S, if, you've got, if you're in a dirty factory with machines and parts and bits and pieces and health and safety and mm. all over the place, clearly it's a critical part of you know, establishing a base point. But if you're living in an intangible world of insurance claims where everything is digital, then yes, the concept you could you could translate to the hard drive organization of your file system, you know. And I've seen, you know, office desks with templates where you put your rubber in your, you know, which is, I think is that's where you become as one of our famous local John Seddon, who was a bit of a protagonist here, but had some very interesting things. He called them the tool heads, basically, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. It all goes wrong. And I guess it's like taking it, trying to become fit and taking a dumbbell and just working with the dumbbell on your right arm. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a son who just seems to go to the gym all the time. And I'm thinking, well, well why? You know, what, you know, and he's old because all his mates do it, you know. And I'm thinking they're adopting this tool head approach, sadly, but they haven't, yeah, haven't come with that within too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really insightful. Um, what you're talking about there that, you know, find that motivator, get that absolute focus on the customer and then, you know, make it your way and then educate and train. So um, while we're still on that, make it your way. Have you got an example where you've seen a company really develop their own approach, their own fitness program for lean and then roll it out and stick to it for a long time? Is there anyone that stands out to you? Um, I mean, I think there are there are lots of examples. The one from our own customer base point of view, um, which I say is done particularly well, is our, our, our very own 
HMRC, which is Your Majesty's Revenue and Customs, right? This is the body that collects all our taxes. Um, and now they've been accredited for, well, early, must have been oh, oh, over 10 years. And I remember we used to use them as a case study of how not to do it. Because uh, they really got a load of consultants in who just and and there's a famous example actually of five Sing the desk and there was a picture in the Times of a banana is this banana you know something in the right place on a desk or something because it got it it was some industrial problems and disputes and they were blaming lean for it all you know so good old HMRC was um, um, it's a great example of a company that's all it's not a company I mean it's, it's, it's an organization that you know employs you know tens of thousands of people started off um, in a way that every day is uh, you know just trying something it, it didn't work but they've evolved incredibly um, over the past decade and have got they've changed the way they do it what they call it but the point is it's sustained and it's evolved uh, in, a, in a way that um, it's now become I think Part of the culture, I think, their their version of this, and they but then they've tailored it, worked out what works for them in their environment of tax tax collection, um, and even they've they've understood that you can't apply the the, the private market ideas of lean because lean is largely a private market, you know, it's a private capitalist paradigm of competitiveness. You can't apply that in in a, in a public service organisation. In, and, and you know, and, and the notion that they don't have a customer and uh, and and a value, that, you know, and the idea of private value is less relevant, and the idea of pub- public value is more relevant. Where the individual is not the arbiter of, of of quality and value; it's the collective. So once you start taking that perspective, it's the collective. Then you get into the Michael Moore stuff about public value. They've adopted more of that sort of approach, I think. Um, and they don't have customers; they have what. Um, someone called obligatees, right? You've got no choice. You're just going to stump up and pay your tax. But then you don't organise your system as if you were serving private customers because you know, a lot of organisations put enormous resources in that because they've got choice, but taxpayers haven't got choice. So they've evolved the whole method and system and it's still going strong and they're adapting it still. Um, they're, and they're still accredited, using accreditation as part of the levers. Um, so an unusual one, I mean, not the most popular organisation, as you can imagine, that people expect that taxes. But, and, and if you think from a, from a value point of view, a decade ago, they employed like 130,000 people. Um, you know, now they employ about 60,000, 70,000, but they've taken double the taxation than they did 10 years ago, which is what Lean's all about, exactly more value with fewer resources. So. Um, that, that's that's an interesting case. Probably wouldn't come out of most people's list. They'd choose Amazon or something like that. But uh, I'll stick with good old HMRC. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I was in Amazon today in, in one of their warehouses, and I saw lean being applied there. So it's a it's another example. I've, I've, I've been through. I've had a tour of an Amazon warehouse, and it's stunning. I must admit, the, the, the use of technology, um, and even little things like we. I was with a party of like experts, and, and the person, said, well, how, how do you think we organise all this stuff? And I mean, people think about size, you know, value. And, and she said, no, it's random stowage. So everything is put, I thought, that was this, what, how's that work? And you realise that logic behind it was purely sort of lean logic, I think, but it's a brilliant example. But uh, yeah, without, without Amazon, it's a stunning yeah. organisation from that angle. Yeah. Oh, it is. And and there's been articles in Australia where people have knocked their culture, but I saw nothing but a high-energised, go-get-you type culture where everyone was yeah. engaged and had it. Yeah. You know, it was impressive from all fronts. Impressive from culture, 
and impressive from systems too. Yeah, and, and they do put a lot in education and training as well, which, which I, was, I could see when I was there. It's quite a big part of what they're doing. So, yeah, I think you're right. They often they, get a bad, bad press. They develop their people and they grow their people. It was impressive. Yeah. So I'm with um, the fifth element we spoke about, which is then training and development. Of course, you know, your knowledge and the people you have worked with are, you know, the greatest in relation to purpose, getting that focus on customers, helping companies build their way and take their approach. But LCS is also so much about just being able to develop and then accredit and help people grow. And a company that I've worked with, the Winston Group that or Signet that has their own approach, they get accredited through LCS. So you accredit them mm-hmm. for their yellow belt, their base training through LCS. But with, with LCS... What stops organizations sustaining accreditation and doing this critical path of having a well-structured, certified approach with good backing to keep developing their people? Yeah, I think it's, it's um, like a lot of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the barriers. It's, it comes down to leadership, um, you know, constancy of purpose, having a, a, and, and, and having a method that you stick to. Um, um, but there's some small things like high management turnover is, is a big, I find over the years, is a big problem because everything's invested in one person. Uh, this is at the early stage of development, I think. And when that person leaves, the whole thing often falls falls down, especially if it's a senior person. Um, it's, so it's not having an embedded, integrated approach uh, where lean is not just a project, it's part of the way we're doing things. So that sort of broad organisational cultural dimension is always there. Um and, and, you know, I think leadership, sponsorship, middle management buy-in, um, how narrow is their definition of lean, really? That's the other thing. I mean, you, you've got to have a very broad definition of lean to make sure that it can apply to your world. As I said, you need to be able to create this contingent approach. Um, but I think um, it, it's it's a lack of that strategic commitment to lean is the way we do things around here or whatever you're going to call it, enterprise excellence, operation excellence, Lean Six Sigma, continuous improvement, service improvement, um, and, and where it's just seen as something we'll try for, you know, a short period of time, and if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll move on. Then that's that obviously anything connected to it, whether it's accreditation is, 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 isn't going to work. Um, at a more organisational level, we've been through a period of a big centralised sort of centre of excellence type, type approach, which then, you know, dictates what happens to the rest of the organization um those tend not to work in the long term you may need them to start off but you need to move to a devolved approach um as soon as possible devolving as much responsibility and autonomy to the to the, to the particular area where they're used is i think a key part for sustainability um it means things are more relevant you know people have more control it'll be more immediate with the impact and you won't have the sort of head office telling us what to do type syndrome. But there's a balance of having some central point that, you know, gets standards in place and material and and can and help out and coach and everything. But it's having a devolved approach to, to trade is important, I think. Um, and um, uh, that's an important part of sustaining an accredited or, you know, um, um, setup as well. Yeah, I could see, especially with the, accreditation and the university backing as well there's a lot of reward and positivity out of that with what people can achieve and sustain like what what stops like what can organizations do to avoid this would you say simon what have you seen anyone really take an approach to avoid what you just said well i think um 
the 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 reward and recognition piece is important. You've got to, I mean, the, the organisations that are doing it well have, for example, they have like award ceremonies where, and there's one big bank that the chief operating officer comes down every six months, and there's a big you know session where people get presented with things. And they did little speeches and case studies of what they did, and there's photos for the newsletter, and they make a big deal of what people have achieved. And that you can see the enthusiasm in in the staff and the and the sort of the sense of I've done I've got done something here that's you know personally satisfying. Um, it's, it's little things like that, and that is that's the that's the symptom of an organisation that's taking it seriously. That's got the right senior management buying and and things it's important to celebrate success. Um, you know, clearly you need to have. Um, the right syllabus, if you like, it's going to be your whole whatever training program you've got has got to be moulded and fashioned around what you need. Um, and that's probably a critical thing. You can't. One thing about the LCS system is that we'll bend around the organisation's needs as much as they've got to bend around the framework. So you only train and you only provide material and topics that are relevant to your world. Um, so that, and the system is flexible to allow that because otherwise you've got the waste of training that's not required, if you like. Um, so it's having that highly um, um, molded tr training that is actually right for your world and, and, and your people. Um, think, I think then you've got to have the permissive environment where people can go and actually apply the stuff. Because it's one thing having a great training program and great topics, but have they got permission to experiment? Um, you know, that's because that's, that's what they're doing to, to apply the knowledge they've learned in the workplace to create a business benefit, improve a process, solve a problem, remove waste. And is that, and then when they fail, is that seen as a problem? Because I mean, there's, I think I would argue that failure is the greatest opportunity for improvement. That's where you learn. Um, so that you've got to have that permissive environment where people are empowered to try things, fail and learn from that, but not be punished from it. Uh, and it's part of their job description, all this sort of stuff. So it's not seen as a an extra 10% on top of the 100% of your job. It's going to be integrated in, into what you do, really. Um, so that's a key thing. And once the training then links into doing and you, you're creating business benefits, then um, you're more likely to sustain it. Um, and I've got one big American healthcare insurer who's accredited and they've got a fantastic system where they, if you want to do any improvement, you've got to have a metric that says, this is what I'm going to produce. Now, I'm not, not a fan of having, you know, metric on everything, but there's a clear impact for the organisation that gives it some certainty that this is all, this is working, it's creating some, some return. So you've got to think about those things as well. But the permissive environment to do it is a big one because that's cultural it's about, you know, empowering people to allow them to, to experiment and try things and sometimes fail. Yeah. So I can hear, really hear the two key elements there, which is, you know, bringing that reward and recognition into the training, the certification and in and making it a real event, the someone achieving that, not just, you know, with the benefit of having the proper accreditation behind it, the university behind it, but also that this is a big deal in our organization and we're going to really put the time into recognizing it. And then having that openness and autonomy to enable people to actually improve after that and apply the learning mm. and, and move forward. Yeah, I mean, the, the key thing when we set the system was that to, to, to gain a certificate at all levels, apart from 1A awareness, you have to go and produce some sort of project of implementation. So you could have, have done something in the workplace as part of your assessment. And that's the key thing. Because um, obviously you would you would you would want them to be then a you know an ongoing activity, but 
it puts the signal that you've got to actually apply it. And as I said earlier, whether you're a taxi driver or a brain surgeon or a pilot, your learning comes from doing it. Um, and, you know, certainly the next flight I get on, if I get it, I don't want to know how many books the pilots read on flying. I want to know how many times he's taken off and landed, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's the same with lean. You've got to get people in there and doing it. And that's where the real learning comes in. Yes, you then upskill yourself and continue to develop, but practice is the key learning opportunity. And we try to create a system that really, you know, encourages the practice, really. Yeah, a practicing lean professional. You know, mm. just like a practicing accountant. Yeah, neat. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, with the um, podcast now, we, we do a two-minute tip section, which would, you know, for guests who are after a short, sharp bit of knowledge, which our world is about a lot now. But what would be your enterprise excellence two-minute tip in your area of expertise? I think, basically, basically what I said, focus on the people dimension is, is a critical, critical thing. You've got to find ways of encouraging, incentivizing people, um, you know, to, to want to do this, tapping into this intrinsic motivation. And there are lots of things available to do that, I think. I think getting people to understand um, process thinking, scientific thinking, that's the basis. Everything is based on process thinking, um, you know, as Deming said, if you don't see see what you do as a process, you don't know what you're doing, you know, and and that's the big barrier. A lot of people don't think process is for them, it's for the people in, in the call centre or on the factory floor. But for the manager, you've got to adopt process thinking. Um, and, and, you know, and it's about um, scientific thinking, um, becoming a learning organisation as well, you know, one that, you know, facilitates the learning of its members and then continue transforms itself. For me, this is the, the basis of which it all starts and sustains. You know, yes, you've got to have the right capabilities and the skills and customer focus and value, but it's it's that people dimension, process thinking, scientific thinking, um, and becoming that learning organisation. For me, that's concentrate on that first because that'll be the base in which everything else will be successful. I think that's really neat. So you've got create that people-focused learning organization where people are safe to experiment, test, and learn, and then build in the, the, the learning and education with the accreditation behind it and the ability to really have some real reward and recognition based on people getting certified Yeah, and then continue to apply. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I always go back to my early academic career, things like Maslow, the hierarchy of needs, right? That is, it's, it's as old as the hills, but as relevant in this as, you know, we're still, as humans, very subject to those to, the, to that sort of model. This is what pure Maslow stuff. This is self-esteem, you know, self-actualization. So it's, it's thinking about motivation of people to do this. And that's where I'm certainly, after 20-plus after, after years of it, it's, I'm, that's where my focus is now, get to the people, um, you know, and um, then, you're, then you're halfway there. Yeah, it's neat. It's neat. And so what's been a recent insight and learning for you? Like what's been something that you've come across recently that's really stopped you and been, been a new learning? Um, I, th- I think probably not surprisingly, the, um, the pandemic has been interesting to watch, you know, uh, and to observe what's happened because I obviously interact with my customer base on a you know, r- regular basis. And, um, and, and, and what I've seen is actually the pandemic has been a great source of innovation in many ways. Um, and I think you've got two groups, you've got the sort of the half full of the half empty brigades and 
um, there are some people who are, have done incredibly well because, um, as the saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and actually, it's forced an awful lot of innovation. Now, you often find this with crises that, you know, people are forced to rethink what they're doing because uh, they've got an existential threat and actually start to innovate. Now, you know, so it is sectorally dependent, some sectors, you know, in hospitality, you, you can't really do much, but there's people halfway in between. Some people sort of panicked and shut up shop, others thinking, right, how can we innovate? So I'm seeing, I mean, I had a meeting yesterday with a Dutch customer and they've had a fantastic time and then innovated completely on what they were doing forced by the pandemic. So that's been interesting um, in, in some ways. It's not, I mean, I think in the book, Lean Thinking, Wilmack and Jones say, if you haven't got a crisis, then create one, right? Because you need some spur, some burning platform to really make you innovate and think differently. Um, so that's been an interesting insight that whilst, yes, there's a lot of negatives around the pandemic, um, I'm seeing, I'm sure there's a book of case studies of, you know, successes of the pandemic waiting for someone to, to write. Um, and it comes down to, you know, how, how can we tap into that in the normal circumstances on when people just haven't got the crisis? Can we somehow, you know, in, in sort of light the fuse of that innovation streak and create things in normal? Maybe that's impossible. It's the whole nature of crisis that does force you to do that. It's mm. the, you know, um, and you need that that existential threat to, you know, to um, um, to um, create that um, that sort of uh, that spur of of innovation. But that's for me has been the, the interesting observation over the past uh, eighteen months or so. Oh, it's certainly been amazing. It's been amazing seeing how companies and people have innovated and completely altered their businesses. The you know, many I know have come back just as strong, if not stronger. It's un- unbelievable. Well, I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be the case. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 a question of capturing the learning and not and not going backwards. You know, the improvements and sustaining them on. I think that's going to be the key thing. Yeah, reflecting and learning from what we've just been through to then keep that good stuff going. Mm-hmm. Simon, how can people reach out to you and get engaged with LCS? What's the best way? Well, I think um, the usual. I mean, we've got a website with lots of stuff on it, and you know, things you can click and um, download and watch watch, watch watch videos. And obviously, there's an email contact there. Um, plus, we've got all the social media platforms going now. Where whether it's Twitter, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Facebook, we've got multi multiplicity of channels for people to come in. But um, I think one of my, I mean. It's a good old-fashioned contact form, I've found. That I got people, you've got a contact form, you can say, put something on it, ask a question, and I get loads of those. They're quite, quite a handy way of reaching out to people and addressing queries or whatever. But yeah, I was open to ideas, and uh, that's the one thing where, you know, we've, we're, 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 uh, uh, there's, no, there's no limit. To, you know, it's a bit like we, we started using the phrase open source lean a couple of years ago which is a word that Bob Emiliani, a US professor, used. Because the idea is that lean, a bit like IT, where a lot of IT programming systems, they're open source, where the community actually is the developer and they it's all pushed upwards into the into the great body of knowledge. Now, I think that's what's happening to lean. It's not about, you've got lots of camps who, you know, the, the, the Wormack and Jones camp, the Six Sigma camp, but what I see is that people are, adding things to the, the body of knowledge that fit to the broad principles. And then in that way, lean is 
being driven by the community and it's a bottom-up development. So for me, that's um, um, I'm, I'm very positive about people coming up with new ideas um, which fit into the, uh, the overall structure um, and add to the bottom line to this open source sense. So that's, I think, you know, um, anyone who's got an idea, push it forward and, and we'll add it to our, our, our whole uh, you know, list of things that could be included um, in, in, in a lean program. So that's uh, um, something I'm keen to keep going, you know, come up with ideas. This will work. That'll work. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, Simon, thank you for everything you have done and everything you will continue to do. And thanks for helping us create a better future, mate. I really appreciate it. Been fun. Enjoyable. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Simon. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to download an Enterprise Excellence Big Picture Map template that can be used to define your own way, the excellence approach for your organization. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Firstly, find your own approach. Every organization is different. Applying a one-size-fits-all approach to lean or enterprise excellence is crazy. An organization that takes the time to understand themselves, research best practices in enterprise excellence, and then develop their own way has more chance of achieving and sustaining an excellence journey. It is your journey, not someone else's. You can adapt it totally to suit your organization, and you are less likely to hear those dreaded words that won't work here. My second key takeaway is reward and recognition of team members development. So many studies are being conducted around habit change. All of them identify reward as a key ingredient of success. Establishing a system of training that is certified, takes effort to achieve, and is presented in a celebratory way is a great approach to achieving ongoing success and outcomes. Employees who have been trained in your approach, certified through one of the world's leading bodies and universities, with certificates presented to them in an event by senior leaders are highly likely to go out and apply their learning. They feel special, they're motivated, and their confidence builds to adapt and make things happen with their new learnings. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Simon. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.